Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game live here at Dime Dropper for the 2023 NBA playoffs. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Hit the notification bell so you know every single time I go live. And of course, follow me on social media, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Dime Dropper Pod. We are live from Los Angeles, as always. Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Tonight we got two really good games to talk about, and then I'm going to be talking about the series that is has LA on the verge of exploding, or should I say the entire state of California, the Lakers and the Warriors. So I'm going to be ending on that. Laker fans, Warriors fans, stay tuned. I know, by the way, I just want to give a shout out, man. Dub Nation, Laker Nation, especially Dub Nation when we talked about yesterday, you guys showed out in, in a way that I just never expected. Um, I know this is, you know, Clippers primarily and whatnot. And then Laker fans, ah, uh, and then Laker, <laughs> Laker fans come all the time. But to have the Warriors support as well, I mean, it means a lot from all you guys. So appreciate that. But let's get into tonight's games. Second round, in my opinion, is, see, I would say it's my favorite round of the playoffs, guys. But then as a Clipper fan, the second round has given me so much PTSD that I think I just have to go with the first round because at least that's the, the round that everybody's in. But second round is just quality hoops all the time. The last three postseasons, 2021, 2022, and now this year, the second rounds have just been awesome. You actually can even go back to 2019. If you go back to 2019, we had Game 7, Toronto-Philly. That series was just a banger. Portland and Denver... That was awesome. We had a quadruple overtime game and a game seven. Uh, Houston and Golden State rematch. That produced some really great games. And then even though Boston-Milwaukee wasn't an absolutely like, you know, six, seven game series, it was really dramatic and it had long-term implications on the Boston Celtics and also Kyrie Irving and, you know, something that we'll never forget, one of his low points. Um, And also a big stepping stone for Giannis to win that round to get to that conference finals for the first time and then in 2021 we had Bucks and Nets that was amazing as well Uh, and then of course you know maybe my favorite series of all time the Clippers and the Utah Trash that was a fun time and then last year Memphis Golden State uh, Boston versus Milwaukee you know Phoenix versus Dallas just absolutely great stuff all the way around so this year looks like we got some great stuff as well had a nice Recap, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out from yesterday. Game 1, Knicks and Heat, I talked about it all. All of them are time-stamped, so you can check out exactly when I talked about a certain series. Also talked about the Game 7, Steph Curry Masterclass. Um, I don't count 2020, my friend. There's no crowds. It's not real playoff basketball, uh, comparatively. Uh, I'm never going to watch that again ever in my life. Uh, and It's not even just because my team choked. 
I just, I, I wasn't, it wasn't an enjoyable experience for me. I'm just being honest. From the second it happened, even the games we won, I just didn't enjoy. Um, I wasn't really craving basketball the same way others were. I was enjoying watching classic games and getting into, that was when I first started getting that spark of the history of the game. So 2020, I will never be watching that stuff again, except if we're on the timeline and I'm like, you know, making dime machine videos on the, on that bubble for people's legacies purposes on this channel, then yes, I'll do something. But other than that, no, but let's go. I mean, I've already delayed long enough. Let's go into the first game of tonight. That was Boston and Philly. Now, of course, Joel Embiid out for the first game with a knee sprain, maybe the second game. Where have we heard this before? Well, besides every year, last year specifically, where Joel Embiid got hurt at the end, uh, the last game of his first round series. Last year, he got hit in the face by Pascal Siakam in game six against Toronto. This year, he sprained his knee against the Nets. One of the three games of this postseason that I haven't watched. I may still watch it just because I'm a weirdo, but we'll see. Point is, Joel Embiid got hurt again. I, it's really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate to Philly fans. It's really unfortunate for him. He just can't seem to stay healthy when it counts. You know, we talk about Anthony Davis, Mr. Street Clothes, as coined by Charles Barkley. We talk about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and their lack of being able to stay healthy. Joel Embiid, when it counts, has not shown to be able to stay healthy. Now, how much of that is his fault versus bad luck? You know, I'm not here to make that determination or the, you know, measure percentages there. But... I've gotten a lot of people say that Embiid doesn't help his case by flopping and flailing all over the floor like a fish. I really like Embiid's game. He's an absolute monster. But regardless of what you think, you know, how much is his fault versus how much is bad luck, the fact of the matter is, similar to Chris Paul and now similar to guys like, I don't know, Kawhi or Paul George, this is more unique to me because Embiid is like in the smack smack dab of his prime and he just can't seem to stay healthy in the playoffs. Like, it's just, that's part of the equation. You can, I don't care how much skill he has in the regular season if he can't stay healthy in the playoffs when you compare him to the greats of the game. Now, the only reason why I'm bringing that conversation up is because I really saw this man, the white guy that shot poorly every time the Clippers needed him, I'm not going to even say his name, that everybody seems to love because he's an expert on the modern game, and I will give that to him. He's an expert on the modern game. When it comes to history, he literally is just a voice, I think, of people that just think the past sucked and just love this era. I think that's what he is. He told me he said that Joel Embiid was as good as Wilt. Are you, you got to be crazy? That, jo, Joel Embiid is a better shooter. You can maybe argue he's a better scorer because he's free throw shooting, and what they're allowed to do. But the game was very different in how it was called. Wilt Chamberlain played against a lot better centers overall, and I don't even need to like. Let's be real. For people that say, "What do you think Joel Embiid would do in the '60s, dude?" I don't think with with the lack of you know massage therapists and act muscle activation guys and all these things that you have and plus the modern surgeries and you know commercial flights those shoes everything that they had to endure with Joel Embiid's body if you want to just do the time machine game he's not lasting more than five years like Wilt Chamberlain played 48 and a half minutes average in a season with a higher pace than today's game like you have to be you can't (laughs) It's so disrespectful. Like, it's so unbelievably disrespectful. This guy won championships. Just because Will Russell gave him the business doesn't mean that... um, And that's his team giving him the business, not individually. You know what I'm saying? Wilt Chamberlain is a monster. You got to see the kind of stats he was putting up in the playoffs when it counted. So, and I hate this. I hate doing this. I hate doing this with Embiid because it disrespects him as well in his game. And I don't like the hypotheticals. But don't tell me. We got to compare them at the same time. 
you got to, you know, what you were in your time matters as well, regardless of what you think of the talent, which a lot of you people that discredit the 60s talent, you just don't know the players. Like, you, it was a smaller league, but there was a lot of talent spread out among those teams. If you go to the 90s and you subtract 10 teams and you just have the best 20 teams, that's a lot of good players, really, really good players on each team. So, in a sense, you had three or four Hall of like People always say Bill Russell had four Hall of Famers on his team, whatever. A lot of other teams had three or four Hall of Famers, too. But anyway, not the point. Speaking of which, I'm actually happy that I brought up Joel Embiid and Wilt Chamberlain and all that because this series holds a lot of historical value here. The Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics have played each other more than any two teams in the history of basketball. It's one of the greatest rivalries we have in this game. There's a deep hatred between these two teams and also just... You know, it, it spans generations of different eras of Celtic and 76ers basketball with Joel Embiid. I'm sorry, with uh, Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell in the late 60s. Some amazing duels. Sixers winning one time. Um, Boston winning three times. And then you had the 80s with Larry Bird against the Doctor. And then in recent memory, you, well, you had one time, I think, with Iverson and Pierce. And then 2012, we got a little bit of it. And now three times in the Embiid versus Tatum era. So this is the third one. No Embiid to start the series. So you looked at the game like the Celtics have to go out, stamp their authority, don't take it for granted, and take care of business. Step on their throats, don't let them get confidence. Well, that's the opposite of what happened. You've got to give a lot of credit to the Philadelphia 76ers, man. The way they came out and played, and I... (laughs) I have to take the L on this one. My least favorite player, the guy I say is everything wrong with the modern game, James Harden. And if he was playing like tonight over the course of like the last seven to eight years, I would not say what I just said about him. Because in this game, he was not neglecting any part of the floor. In the past, when James Harden, you see defenses in drop coverage, he will try to go right at the teeth of the defense or shoot a floater or kick it out for a three. He will not look at that mid-range. This last, you know, last year and a half with Philly, but mainly this year he's gotten to be healthier and he's gotten to play a full season. He is actually embracing the mid-range, and it's making him much harder to guard, in my opinion, in the pick and roll than the last two seasons, even though you can argue that 2021 he was better than this. He was just quicker, still off the bounce. But even then, his speed and his athleticism was starting to go down. It was starting to wane a little bit. And in in the past, he had a great first step. I mean, he was still so athletic. But I really like when he... It's not even just him. When guys are not neglecting the mid-range area, you have to be a threat. You can't just neg- you have to take what the defense gives you. And with Harden, my problem besides you know a lot of other things was, you know what he's gonna do. It's hard to stop. It's very hard to stop to try to get him away from you know, having two feet in the paint and preventing an open three. But it's gonna be either an open three or him getting to the basket. You know, if you're playing good enough defense where you're not giving him wide open threes off the screen. In this game, he set the tone without, I believe, 16-plus points, at least 16 points in the first quarter. And one thing I saw was Al Horford and t- the Time Lord, they were dropping too deep in the, in the uh, drop coverage. Dropping a little too deep. A little too deep is an understatement. We saw a little bit of that hurt with Trey Young late in that series. But, and anyway, I keep looking at the comments and it's distracting me. I got to not do that. But, by the way, the Boston Bruins blew a 3-1 lead. I mean, I have some really good friends out in Massachusetts that are big Bruins fans. I feel sorry for all you guys, but all the other ones, 
Oh, man. Boston, man. Don't take this L. I'm actually kind of pulling for the Celtics a little bit now. Don't take this L. The way James Harden was playing, it's possible. He was getting great stuff. And I got to give credit to the 76er role players. They really brought it. And they've been and they have brought it in the playoffs thus far, in the net series and now tonight. And with Boston, this was not the defensive intensity, the attention to detail, the focus that uh, I have seen from them at times in the playoffs. Um, very much lackadaisical, getting over screens. Um, yeah, I said that the bigs were dropping too deep, Horford and the Time Lord, but the, the people at the point of attack in the first half, I don't think they were that great either. Now, credit to the Sixers. James Harden was making plays. He was getting to the basket. He was hitting floaters. He was hitting step backs. He was doing a good job of keeping guys on his hip and then hitting the step back to create separation going to his right. He was finding guys for open threes. Tyrese Maxey was making plays. Tobias Harris getting to his mid-range. Tobias has been so good in the playoffs so far. I'm really happy for him. Of course, former Clipper, Tobias Harris. But the Celtics, I will say, offensively, they were bringing it. It didn't seem like much of a playoff game in that first half. Now, credit, high-level offenses doing their thing. But you expect better from two teams that are more defensive, considered more defensive-minded, at least in the Nuggets and the Suns, who had the slugfest tonight. So that was pretty interesting. You know, it was a complete opposite of what you expect. With Boston and Philly, you know, East Coast basketball, historically, you expect a little bit slower, a little bit more of a grinded-out kind of defensive-minded game. But in this one, it was the opposite. The West was that gritty, grimy, you know, physical game. And this was just a in the first half. I mean, 63 to 66, the Celtics were winning. Jason Tatum, from an offensive perspective, he brought it in the first half, and so did Jalen Brown. Tatum was getting to the basket, you know, with conviction, finishing strong, hitting the three ball with that little, you know, between the legs. Yeah, <laughs> he always does. Um, Jalen Brown also scoring, but it was mainly only those two and Malcolm Brogdon scoring. Derek White didn't really have it going. Al Horford didn't really have it going. Those three were doing their thing. As for the Celtic bench, one thing you saw from the way the Sixers attacked it was they were trying to get Sam Hauser in the action every single time he was in the game, whether it be Harden or Maxi. And you know what? I think Sam Hauser's done a good job of standing his ground and being a good defender when I've seen him this season and in this playoffs. That's part of the reason why Grant Williams is playing less, which... He even got a little bit of burn in this game, and I remember him getting blown by fairly easily. So I don't even remember how many minutes he got. Let me take a look. Remember, if I'm not making eye contact, that's because I'm looking at the box score on my phone because my computer's been having an overheating problem lately. So I'm trying to make sure that the latency is fire for you guys. But Grant Williams only got four minutes. Yeah, I didn't really get a shot up. Uh, so he didn't really make any impact to me. Uh, had a zeros across the board in the stat line. No nothing, just minutes. Um, Sam Hauser, only five minutes as well. As they, as I said, they attacked him and they were getting pretty good stuff. The thing about Maxi is he has such a great first step. In my opinion, one of the best first steps in the league. And when he does that little, you know, screen and then pop with Harden, uh, he gets the ball and he can work quickly off the catch. And Tobias Harris and guys like DeAnthony Melton fight on, baby. I never thought DeAnthony Melton when he was at USC would be this solid of an NBA player. But man, he's a pretty damn good player. He plays good D. He hits the three. 3 and D. That's what you need in today's game. He was hitting the three ball in the first half, and the Sixers were right where they wanted to be at the half. Boston, how many times have we seen this? Playing down to the level of their competition throughout the season. We've seen it for a couple of seasons now, if we're being real, and it all starts with the, the Jays. It really does. You set the tone. You're the leaders. 
And on both ends of the floor, the biggest change for Boston last year, besides Udoka, besides getting Derek White, that I noticed was the simple, and maybe Udoka was the one that brought this out of the stars. I don't know. But it was the simple, yo, Jason Tatum. You guard the best player. You set a tone. You go out there, play elite defense for four quarters. Look at the ripple effect it'll have on the team. And what I saw when he was guarding KD like that in game one, almost every time down, and he was getting buckets on the other end, I knew this is why the Celtics are great. Yes, they have other great players, the Time Lord, Al Horford. But when he's on that type of time, there are not many players in the NBA, in the world, on the planet, better than Jason Tatum. And Jalen Brown, you know, I thought that his one-on-one defense, because the Celtics love to switch, you know, besides Horford and Williams, they were switching everybody else. Jalen Brown's one-on-one defense, I think, has been really good in the playoffs, and I thought it was really good in this game, moving his feet. But James Harden, I mean, he was just in his bag. He was getting the step on guys. He was hitting that mid The thing was, he was mixing it up. See, if James Harden, in his peak, had embraced the mid-range game, not playing Dan Phoney ball, maybe he would have ended up a champion. Because everybody, you know, loves to say that Chris Paul got hurt in Game 7, and he did. But they were winning in the game, and their only plan of attack was to get to the basket or shoot the three ball. And when they went cold, they had no counter. You can't tell me that a player of James Harden's caliber could not have tried to shoot a mid-range. There was one time in this game where he caught the ball on the elbow and made a quick move. I believe he got a foul. When do you see James Harden catch the ball at the elbow? How long has it been since we've seen that kind of stuff? Pre-Dan Phoney, pre-Harden's peak, pre-MVP. So, again, I I just hated the way he played in his prime. And if he played like this, I would never call him Plumber Jim. Because last year he was Plumber Jim in the playoffs. This this was James Harden. This was James Harden that I like. He was getting buckets. They couldn't do anything about him. And in the second half, you saw a step up from Boston defensively in terms of effort. Fighting over screens a little bit harder. The bigs were not dropping as deep. And offensively, I think they honestly weren't great on that end. That's what kind of surprised me is they weren't that great offensively. But defensively, they absolutely took a step up. It was 24-21 in favor of Philly in the third, though. So we had a tie game going into the fourth. And I have to say, it was James Harden continuously keeping Philly in the game with an array of shots. You know, he was also able, as he always does, to get to the line, but he wasn't really getting, you know, it's not the same as back in the day when he used to get every call. So you can argue that, like, he didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't get a, he doesn't get, he, here's the thing. In the regular season, he was able to get away with that foul baiting bullshit. But in the playoffs, when the refs started swallowing the whistle, the Warriors would find him out every year when he would do that tween cross, tween cross, tween cross, step back, fall, rinse, repeat every fucking season. And they know he's going to get tired. So you're going to let him take that step back, and you're going to take your chances. But some games are going to get burned. And in this game, Boston got burned. Nobody could guard him. Jalen Brown, Derek White, Marcus Smart. And Al Horford in the pick and roll, it was not good for him. It was not good. He's had some great defensive moments in these playoffs. But the last couple of games, Trey Young, James Harden, they've had a lot of success with Al Horford in the pick and roll. He needs to not drop so deep. And I think that's an adjustment that will be made. The thing is, if you're wondering, why didn't they hedge and recover Boston? We've seen that sometimes. Well, because the way the Philadelphia 76ers have been responding to being given the corner three has not been encouraging for other teams so far, in my opinion. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they killed teams when Embiid was catching the ball in the middle of the floor um, against Brooklyn. 
And it's not just the corner three. It's Maxi Harden and Tobias' ability to attack closeouts and get into the in-between game. Now, Harden, obviously, you don't think of the in-between game with him, even though I've talked about it tonight. But Maxi's got a great floater. He gets he has an amazing layup package. In the first half, or I think it was in the second half, he had had a couple of amazing finishes going to his right off the glass where he was you know deeper than just you know inside the key going to his right just some nice borderline floater layups whatever you want to call it it was beautiful he has an amazing uh, layup package Tyrese Maxey and he's got a great first step but Tobias Harris you know the whole thing about Tobias Harris I didn't have dime dropper when we the Clippers uh, had him but Tobias he doesn't have the quickest first step he's not very fast not very athletic but he has spots the elbow, 15 feet and in, this guy's a bucket. And he has the strength and the turnarounds over either shoulder to get that shot off nine times out of ten against a lot of guys. And he usually doesn't get the primary defender. His role is like a third best player on a championship team, give or take. He's the fourth best player on this team. But if you're getting the third or fourth best defender, Tobias Harris can get his shot whenever he really wants. And on switches, get into the mid-range, get into your spot, get into the elbow, and rise up over the top. A couple of times he did that in this game. There was one time he did it even on, I think it was Derek White. So Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, they were doing a great job in isolation situations, in one-on-one situations, scoring on Celtic defenders. Look, Celtics have a lot of good point-of-attack defenders. They have a lot of good defenders, period. But they just need to play better defense. It's as simple as that. I know it sounds ridiculous, sounds simplistic. you got to stay in, stay in front better. And you got to hope that the Sixers miss more shots. I mean, the way they shot in this game was amazing. Um, and in the fourth quarter, by, and by the way, Tatum and Brown still offensively, I just didn't see enough in that third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, a little bit more of the same. What an exciting game it was, though, overall. The Sixers outscored the Celtics 32-28 to get the big win. Down the stretch, you know, it was a pretty neck-and-neck -neck game the entire second half. It looked like the Sixers were going to take it, but Boston did make a little push at the end. Marcus Smart got a couple of, he had two and ones in the fourth quarter. One on a nice cut, the other one on just a nice take to the rim. Um, Jason Tatum was starting to get more involved. Um, overall, he shot nine shots in the second half, which, and considering he played 45 minutes, you can tell me if you think that was enough or not. But it just seemed like the Celtics, you know, they were trying to get Maxi in the action. And I got to give Maxi some credit on the guys that he was switching on to, like your Derek Whites of the world. He did a good job staying in front. And that's a question to the Celtics fans. Derek White came out of the game in the fourth quarter, didn't close. They went with the Time Lord. Al Horford, the Jays, and Mark. Actually, no, I think it was Brogdon, Smart, Jalen, Tatum, and Horford. And Horford, they were still getting good looks on him in the pick and roll, so much so to the point where they started switching Horford onto Harden. And you saw at times in the beginning of the last series, they would switch everything with Horford on the floor. Well, Horford, you're starting to see as good as he is moving his feet, he is maybe too old to be doing it against guys like James Harden and Trey Young. And, you know, there was one really well-contested three really late in the game on James Harden with Horford guarding him that he hit. Oh, man, what a big shot for James Harden. But let me take a look because it's all kind of going so fast and I didn't take notes for this game, just kind of doing it off the cuff. So sorry if my analysis sounds a little bit more raw. But let me see. Malcolm Brogdon had a good game, man. 
but they were up by four. By the way, the Celtics turned the ball over way too much relatively to, you know, relative to Philly. That was a huge difference in the game. 16 turnovers for the Seas, only six for Philly. And I'll tell you what, what that um, led to in a second, but 113 to 110. Al Horford makes a layup with 114 remaining in the game. After that, you have Paul Reed making two free throws to make it a one-point game and then a play that was just wild. By the way, Jason Tatum missed a free throw late in the fourth quarter right before this. Um, But the shot clock was winding down. Marcus Smart was missed. He was wide open. He was missed. Malcolm Brogdon had the ball. And a player with such, with such, not I want to say experience, but such a good feel for the game and such a high IQ, not seeing the shot clock was so weird and then to top that off he literally threw the ball to Tyrese Maxey like he was on his team and Maxey had a wide open dunk and the crazy part is the shot clock was going to expire you would have rather at that point if you're the Celtics have a shot clock violation than throw the ball away like that and they got a layup and I got to give the Sixers credit for one thing uh, even though their defense wasn't that wasn't that great in the game but with Paul Reed at center they didn't really have much rim protection so they had to just, you know, they relied on switching everything and just staying in front. And they did a decent job, you know, better than you'd expect, at least, you know, in the second half. And I also want to say they threw out some zone in there, some matchup zone. It would start at 2-3, and then sometimes they'd go into man. And it looked pretty good for some stretches. But there was one when Marcus Smart got one of those and ones late, got Horford at the high post, nice bounce pass to the baseline. Beautiful. Um, that's how you counter zone. Young, uh, young people, but late in the game, with that gave that gave them the lead. On the next play, Jason Tatum got fouled and went to the line and sunk both. Nice play by Missoula to get the ball to Jason Tatum at the right elbow against Harris and to get to the rim. And then James Harden with the step back three. I think that was the one against Horford. What a shot from Harden, which ended up being the game winner because the Celtics, I don't know why they drew up the game-winning play for Marcus Smart. I do not know. Give it to Smart to go attack Harden. He handed it off to Tatum. It was a clogged paint. Tatum couldn't hold on. He probably should have caught it, in my opinion. Lost the ball. And then Paul Reed made two free throws again. Four points in the last two minutes, all at the line. Ice cold, Paul Reed. And the Celtics lose game one at home on a James Harden go-ahead three in what was his playoff career high, 45 points. And in my opinion, all things considered, odds stacked against him, level of competition, his best playoff game of his entire career. Better than 2012 game five against the Spurs. Better than any of his games against the Warriors in 2018 and 19. I think this was the best. And this is coming from a Harden hater. I mean, he was amazing the way he put the team on his back, had bucket after bucket. It was shades of Houston. It was incredible. I got to read the lines for the Sixers, who won the game 119 to 115 to take home court advantage. They have not won more than one game against the Celtics in the best of seven in this Tatum era. In 2018, they lost both games at home. And honestly, it was the Sixers who were the healthy team and the Celtics who didn't have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward, who the odds were kind of stacked against them. I had them losing the series. The Sixers, eight-man rotation. Jaden McDaniels, 
I'm sorry, Jalen McDaniels. Only played 11 minutes in this game. Had a donut, 0 for 2. And by the way, I have to say, Glenn Rivers did it. Whatever he did, he did a decent job tonight. But, you know, players got to go out there and play. Glenn Rivers is going to find a way to screw it up somehow. George Niang only played 13 minutes and went 1 for 3. Nothing special from him, from my memory. DeAnthony Melton played 25 minutes, and I thought he was just awesome. 17 points on 6 for 10 shooting and 5 for 6 from deep. And then the starters, all of which played over 36 minutes. I got to start with a guy who didn't take a shot attempt and affected the game so much more than you would think, and that's P.J. Tucker. Folks, P.J. Tucker is one of those guys that you just have to be watching the game to to see what he does on the floor. But he's also the type of guy that if you're a guy that only thinks this game is about scoring points, then you're just never going to understand what he does for teams. He plays hard defense. He'll take a hard foul. He'll let you know you're there. You know, one thing about the Celtics, I think they only committed 10 fouls in the entire game, in a playoff game. You get four fouls a quarter before it's free throws automatically. You cannot be having that little of resistance. What the fuck is that, Boston? Come on. P.J. Tucker, he's going to use his fouls. I promise you that. There was one play to start the second half, 30 seconds, that really just shows you what P.J. Tucker does. He got a steal on Tatum, blowing up the dribble handoff, and then he kept the ball alive, if I'm not mistaken, by just going for an offensive rebound and tipping it off someone or just it being off someone because they had to, you know, get the try to go for the offensive rebound because otherwise P.J. Tucker, sorry, try to go for the rebound because otherwise P.J. Tucker would have gotten it. Two offensive rebounds in the game, five overall, two steals. He was a plus six. P.J. Tucker making an impact even without scoring. Paul Reed, 37 minutes, 10 points, 13 rebounds, 3 of 4 from the field, and 4 huge free throws. His only 4 free throws of the night in crunch time. What a big performance by Paul Reed when the team needed him. And then the other 3 guys that are capable of scoring 20-plus every night. Tobias Harris. He played a team-high 42 minutes. Another really solid game for Toby. 18 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 dimes. 8 for 16 from the field and 2 for 5 from 3. I don't know about tonight because I wasn't really watching the game from a Sixers or Celtic perspective. Actually, I was watching the game from a Celtic perspective, not Sixers, because the Celtics had everything to lose. So don't worry. I'm going to get into them in terms of their why they really lost in a second to, to end it all. But... As far as Philly, I wasn't really paying attention to their individual defense as much. But in the playoffs, Tobias Harris has been good defensively. And in this postseason, he has stepped up his stats from the regular season. In that Sixers series, he shot 57% from three. 57% from three, 20 points, and nine boards. So he's brought it so far. 18 points in this game, five rebounds and three dimes on eight for 16 from the field. So 50% and two for five from three, 40%. Great performance from Tobias. And then Maxi. while he didn't have it from three, he was only two for nine. He had 26 points and four steals on 10 for 24 shooting. Four or four from the line. Just amazing finishes going to his right. And he's just such a fun player to watch. Tyrese Maxey with a big performance, but none bigger than James Harden, who had his best playoff game of his career. 
in the mid-range, finding guys for open shots. The pass he had to Tobias Harris, who, by the way, made some big shots in the fourth quarter. Usually, the one thing about Tobias I noticed with him being on my team, he would fade away as the game went on. That was when it was Lou Williams' time, and I would always get mad at Tobias for that even though one time he did make a game winner against Charlotte before he got traded. But in this game, big shots. That kick out he got from Harden, top of the key three, was huge. What a pass from Harden, though, by the way, on the drive. I mean, James Harden just was showing the full repertoire in this one. And the fact that he was able to, you know, diversify his shot profile made him that much scarier. But 45 points, a playoff career high, six assists, two steals, only turned the ball over three times. Uh, only, I don't know about only, but three times. I was, ha- yeah, I don't know about only, but three turnovers. Hey, at least it wasn't four. You know, it's not, we've seen it worse from Harden. Let's put it that way. 17 for 30 from the field. Wow. That efficiency is amazing. He has not shot the ball like that in a playoff game against this level of opposition. And then seven for 14 from three, 50%. That step back, that side step, it was working. Prime. The classic tween cross step back. Only four free throw attempts, by the way. And the Sixers shot 12 free throws and they made all 12 of them. Three, I'm sorry, four for Reed, four for Maxi, and four for Harden. What a performance from Philly. They shot the ball so well as a team. The question is, will they be able to do that in another game without Embiid? I don't know. 50.6% from the field, 45% from three, and 100% from the line. So they had a 50-40-100 uh, game as a team. And let's talk about Boston. Let's do the stats before we get into the big picture. Nine-man rotation. Grant Williams, as I said, four minutes, donut. Sam Hauser, five minutes, donut. The Time Lord, 20 minutes, 6.7 boards. Uh, he was a plus eight, but I think he was still dropping too deep, in my opinion, at times. He got a little lucky with some missed shots, but I still think he was dropping a bit too deep. Only 20 minutes, three for three, and I think that's part of the reason why Missoula didn't play him as much. Derek White. To let me know if you think he should have played more and then taken Horford out. Because they didn't have a guy that's going to dominate you in the post. With Paul Reed, you can go with a smart Brogdon, White, and the Jays lineup. Because I don't think Paul Reed's going to take you know Tatum in the post or even maybe Derek White in the post. But I could be wrong on that. Derek White, he's been so good offensively in the playoffs so far. Um, I mean, 56% from the field, 46 from three, 17 points is just amazing. He just didn't have a good shooting night in this one. One for five from the field, 0 for four from three, only four points. Just wasn't his game. And defensively, he didn't make the impact that he usually does. He still had some good defensive possessions, but just not the impact that he usually has. Malcolm Brogdon, 20 points, nine for 16 from the field, two for six from three. Look, I think Malcolm Brogdon was was really good. Big turnover, though, man. Huge. Just very uncharacteristic of him. His only turnover, quite frankly. Um, he was a plus 14, though, which was the highest of any Celtic. Um, he was good. He was very good. But I still don't think that Malcolm Brogdon should have more shots than Jalen Brown when Jalen Brown's shooting 80%. Just saying. And then Al Horford. 11 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 blocks. The team worst, minus 17. Uh, I don't think he was that good just because, you know, he usually just plays better defense. They had a lot of success on him in the pick and roll. I saw a stat that Harden got 1.75 points per possession uh, putting Al Horford in the pick and roll tonight. So that's almost two points of possession. That's basically you're scoring every time. Um, so that's no good. 
Um, so not a great night for Horford, and also one for four from three. He was five for eight overall. And another thing that pissed me off about Horford is that sometimes he had Maxi on him and he wouldn't go to the post. You have to take advantage of that. Al Horford is a good post player. He needs to get his ass on the block or seal down low. Maxi cannot hang with him. So disappointing from Al, who I think has been really good so far in the playoffs. And then the Jays. Actually, you know, Marcus Smart, 12.7 assists, but six turnovers. Four for seven from the field. Stepped it up late in the game, um, but the turnovers are just no good. And then the Jays. Jalen Brown, 23.6 rebounds, four assists. Four turnovers on eight for 10 shooting, 80%. Three for four from deep. 4-4 from the line. Jason Tatum, he was really good in this game. 39 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal and a block on 14 for 25 shooting, so 56%. And 80% from 3-4-5 and 7 for 8 from the line. So he was really, really good. But still, really, really good. It's not going to cut it. They did not win the game. And they had Philly in town without Embiid. The Celtics shot 59% from the field. 38.5% from three, 94.4% from the line, 17 for 18. But only shot 26 threes and shot 14 less shots than the Sixers, 12 of those being threes. Why is that? Well, this is why, to me, Boston lost. We've seen this from the Boston Celtics all season long. And throughout the last couple of years, they have a tendency to play down their level of their competition. We saw it this year with Orlando several times. Even though the Knicks have proven to be a very, very solid team, they still could have won some of those games. Just various games throughout the year and years, you can say, that the Celtics just don't come out with that killer instinct. You know, sending a message early in the game that, look, you don't have as much talent as us. We're going to smack you in the face. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And I see the Celtics do that for stretches. You saw the Celtics do it last year in the playoffs. But in game five against Atlanta, and then in this game, they did it again. They allowed themselves to come out lazy, come out with a lack of focus, and get the other team hot. And now they have confidence. It starts with the Jays for me. Defensively, not really saying that they were bad defensively, but as leaders, I just didn't see good enough defensively from anybody in the first half. And in the second half, when the game was on the line, you know, Jalen Brown is shooting three shots in the entire second half. Three. When you're shooting 80%. We, this is not the first time we've seen him drift away at the end of games over the last couple of years or this playoffs. He did it against Atlanta in game five. Tatum was a little more aggressive. And by the way, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were driving like in non or semi-transition just into the teeth of the defense recklessly at times in the second half. I don't know what that was about. And then, as I said, Jalen Brown was doing that, and he only got three shots off in the second half. That's just not enough. That's not acceptable. Jason Tatum, nine shots. That's a little better. You know, honestly, we want to see him even shoot a little bit more. But... The Celtics, they lack 
that killer instinct. And I think they're their own worst enemies in this playoffs. They have to come out and step on the other team's throats in games like this. Now, how much does Missoula have to blame for the game? Drawing up a play for Marcus Smart late. You know, do you blitz Harden? Do you just get the ball out of his hands and make the other guys beat you? I mean, the other guys were hitting. So what do you do when Harden's, you know, countering everything that you're throwing at him like that, having one of those games, and he's just surrounded by shooters that are going to shoot the ball well on a given night? It's extremely hard to guard. Your best bet is to switch everything but actually be able to stay in front, which the Celtics can do but they did not do in this game. And the Sixers were just making them pay. The big difference in the game for me, turnovers. 16 for Boston, 6 for Philly. That accounted for 12 more three-point attempts for the 76ers. And the Celtics are a team that likes to shoot threes. They only shot 26, whereas the Sixers shot 38. That accounted for seven more made threes. As I said, they shot 14 more field goal attempts in general. And the Sixers, with an amazing win, So Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they just got to step it up. The Celtics team has to play Boston Celtics defense in that first half in game two. If I'm the Sixers, I rest Embiid. Just let him rest for game three uh, in Philly. And Boston's got to go out there and smack him in the face. I need to see a blowout, not just a win. I need to see a blowout, just like we saw last year in game two against Milwaukee. But we'll see. Now, let's shift gears and talk about the... Nuggets and the Suns. Oh, whoops. I forgot Katie doesn't play here anymore. So let's go to, let's go back home. I'm saying that for the people that are watching on uh, YouTube, by the way, audio people. But let's talk about the Suns and the Nuggets. So this game was actually kind of a slugfest. Both teams are playing really, really good defense. Got to say, I was impressed with Phoenix's defense. Um, they were playing with a level of physicality that we didn't see in game one. DeAndre Ayton, he seemed like he saw those videos that everybody was posting about him. Um, he came out with a lot more physicality. Not that it was doing much. I mean, Jokic, uh, in the beginning of the game, it was more give it to Jokic on the block or on the elbow to isolate the, on the right side or left side, either side. In the first half, it seemed like the right side more against Aiton. And the Suns were letting him do it. You know, they were going to let him beat them uh, and stay home on other guys. And Jamal Murray was just off all game long. You know, the, the Suns were in that drop coverage that we saw them get burned with in game one. Credit to Monty Williams. He stuck with it. He stuck with it. Um, I do think that Aiton was up just a little bit more, though. And I got to say, Tory, uh, I'm sorry, Josh Okogie, Tory Craig. Um, all the guys that took a crack on Murray in this game, I thought they did a pretty good job fighting over the screens and being physical with him, just trying to close his airspace. It was a night and day difference, in my opinion, um, from game one. But I will say this too, Murray got a lot of the shots that he normally makes and just missed. and was also not making the best decisions himself. But a lot of those shots he's going to make. But you got to give the Suns a little bit of credit as well. Um, Akogi played 22 minutes, Craig only 11 um, Damian Lee got 26 Suns fans. If I have any that are listening, let me know what you think of that. He had six rebounds, um, but zero points. It was a minus five and he was Oh, for five. So I don't know. That doesn't look like a very good stat line, but maybe he was one of those guys guarding Murray better than I, th- than I saw. Again, I was looking at this game from a nuggets perspective because they had to get the job done. Um, defend home court. Actually, I don't know. I wasn't really looking at it from anyone's perspective. I was just kind of watching, observing what I could from both sides. Um, 
But one thing I saw from the Suns as well, made an adjustment, campaign. I said he should play. Now, he didn't really make me look that good, I'm not going to lie. But I did say he should play, and he did play in this game. But Aaron Gordon, one strategy you also saw from Phoenix um, in that drop coverage was, if Jokic gets the ball, just make sure you rotate off of whoever uh, is guarding Aaron Gordon. Or rotate off of Aaron Gordon. Let AG shoot that open three. And for some reason, he was having more hesitancy than he did in game one with that shot. I don't know why. There was one time where he shot in the right corner and he made it. So I don't know what he was hesitating for. He has to keep the defense honest, Aaron Gordon. He has to because he's been shooting the ball well this season. Um, so he needs to continue to believe that. But Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, they weren't hitting shots. Chris Paul and Kevin Durant weren't hitting shots. CP3 in the first half, he was getting to that right elbow over and over again, that right elbow that has become his bread and butter for years. And KD, and he was bricking. And KD, I have to say, Aaron Gordon was doing a hell of a job. Hell of a job. And you know who else has been doing a really great job defensively? And I've noticed he's a great defender and a confident player, I might add. Christian Brown. Dude, the white Americans may be making a comeback here. Austin Reeves, Caruso, Kennard, Christian Brown. You know, it seems like a lot of the white Europe, it's all the white guys are the Europeans. The white Americans making a little bit of a comeback. Christian Brown, really physical, good defense. And the thing about KD, I said it last year, I'm going to say it again. When you get physical with this guy and you get in his jersey and you put you know, size and length on him, he does not look the same. He gets uncomfortable. He may still shoot a good percentage, but he's not dominating. The only time I've seen him do that is against P.J. Tucker in 2021. KD did not shoot so well in this game. But the thing is, the Suns' defense was so good and Murray and Porter weren't hitting that the Nuggets were down by two at the half, 42-40. to 40. Third quarter, things started to get a little hotter. 31-30, Phoenix won that quarter, and that was because it was a back and forth between Jokic and Booker. Nikola Jokic was a beast in isolation in this game. Kevin McHale would be extremely proud of the way he was dominating Aiton. And it's like, look, it's not even bad defense on Aiton's part to me. Jokic was hitting him with the jump hook, the floater, the little, you know, push shot. I mean, a turnaround over the left shoulder. He was just giving him a little bit of everything. His array of pump fakes, his amazing footwork. He's so methodical, and he literally cannot jump over a dictionary or, or an atlas. You know, he can't jump. It's insane. But he's seven feet tall, is really strong, has amazing skill, touch, and feel for the game. I mean, some shots, there were times where Aiden was bumping the shit out of him. They should have gotten fouled, and they were pretty lenient in this game. You know, they were letting things slide. But there were a couple times where Aiden bumped the shit out of Jokic, and he just threw it up there, and he still got it to go. I mean, what a player. And I'm so happy for Jokic. I said it in the last episode, but people do not understand what Murray does for Jokic in the playoffs, the threat that he takes off of him. Because with, when you have no Murray, you'd rather just do what the Nuggets did tonight. Just give the ball to Jokic and get out of the way. With Murray, you have that pick-and-roll threat, that two-man game, where even if Murray's not shooting well, you have to account for him. You can't just let him get open shots or just stick on a Jokic uh, when uh, the screen is set. And let him just have a line drive to the rim. Now there were times where the Suns were letting him do that. But bringing a defender over. And as I said, leaving Aaron Gordon open. And it was kind of working. But in the third quarter, something happened that really changed the game. And that was Chris Paul injuring his groin. 
As someone who has been a part of many a Chris Paul injury in the playoffs as a fan, I do feel super sorry for the guy because I don't think anyone really wants to win a championship as badly as he does. It seems like the way James Harden's acting, though, he really wants this. But Chris Paul, I know, you know, his personality. He was on my team. He was the face of my franchise. Um, he wants to win so bad. And it's just sad. He always happens to him. But as I say with Embiid, durability is part of this sport. It's part of greatness. And Chris Paul, he struggles to stay healthy in the playoffs, but he's also old. And the sad part about CP3 was he was just starting to get going in that second half, getting to his right for that right elbow jumper in the pick and roll. And I'm going to say this again. The Suns were getting really good looks for three quarters with Jokic in drop coverage. Really good looks. It's problematic. But I'll say this about the Nuggets' other defenders. The point of attack guys, KCP, Gordon, even Murray in this playoffs have shown some decent defensive moments. And then guys like Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, they really save Jokic. Because if he didn't have good point of attack defenders, they would be getting whatever they want. Whatever they want. And the Suns were getting good looks. But Devin Booker, I mean, this guy, how many games is he going to shoot amazing? Like, in this game, 14 for 29 and 4 for 8 from 3, 3 for 3 from the line. Like, this guy's just had efficient shooting games in every game. And going to his left, that stop and pop is just absolute money. He's doing it in so many ways. Off the catch, isolation, between the legs, get to the rim, stop on a dime, pump fakes, patience, getting to his spots. And the great thing about Devin Booker is everything inside the arc is his spot. And he can hit threes. The dude just doesn't seem like he's missing much right now. It's crazy. And let me be real. He is playing with more confidence, more desire, and more consistency than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has not looked like the best player on this team in any playoff game except for maybe one. It's embarrassing right now. It really is. He's so timid. He's so, I'm just going to play in the flow of the game. That's been my biggest thing with KD. Um, and you know, it's funny. I'm saying that he shot 27 shots tonight, but part of it's cause he played 44 minutes. He better be shooting that with that trash ass supporting cast. And that's the thing. The sun's bench had a grand total of four points. They tried six different guys. None of them being TJ Warren, by the way, which is insane or Terrence Ross who could actually score. So Monty, I, again, I don't think you're utilizing the depth properly. What has Damian Lee done? I have to watch the defense against him because maybe he was playing better defense than I saw, but offensively he adds nothing. Campaign didn't have a good shooting game, but I would still try with him. He has to make that mid-range, though. They're going to go under the screen because they don't want him to get downhill. He has to make that mid-range. It's what he was hitting in the playoffs in 2021 and the three ball. Biombo is poor offensively. Torrey Craig, only 11 minutes. I don't get that. Why did they bring Torrey Craig off the bench? He had such a good series against us. Why would you do that? I don't know why. Akogi starting again. Suns fans, you let me know. But fourth quarter... The Suns went into it up by three. They only scored 14 points in the fourth. 14 points. No Chris Paul means it was going to be the Booker and KD show. Because, again, they don't throw the ball to Aiden down low. They don't. Aiden, by the way, in the first half was hitting shots in that pick and, pick and roll. Those little push shots. Very efficient. He was actually playing pretty well. But he went away. As, as always, in the second half, the team goes away from him. Devin Booker was getting off, but one thing I noticed about KD, he had a stretch. I think it was 73-78 they were losing. He had two buckets in a row. One was a taking advantage of a post-up against Bruce Brown, 
who, by the way, every time Bruce Brown is guarding KD, he needs to go 15 feet away mid-post every fucking time. Stop wasting possessions. But, you know, I want to let Book do his thing. It's his team. That That's KD's mentality, it seems. How about when he has Aaron Gordon on him? He can't get anything, huh? Aaron Gordon had his ass on lock. On lock tonight. He was getting physical. He was contesting everything. He's a great guy to guard KD because KD can't bump him. KD does not, he can't get physical with him. And the funny part is, it didn't take until late in the game when the game was basically over where KD went into Aaron Gordon's chest and scored twice. (laughs) Too little too late, my friend. Every other time he had Aaron Gordon on him, he didn't really want the smoke in the fourth quarter. D-Book started missing some threes. And the two-man game between Murray and Jokic came to fruition. And I think Murray, who had only four field goals made in this game, hit two of those. I'm sorry, three field goals made in this game, hit two of those in the fourth, and he was finding Jokic for some open shots. Jokic was giving him the whole package. Hit two threes, his floaters, finding other guys. KCP was phenomenal in this game. Big threes in the second half, huge. He was four for four from deep in the game. And with that two-man game, with Jokic being the best player on the floor tonight, the last game it was Murray. Both games, a nugget is the best player on the floor. They get much better from their supporting cast. That is just better. And you don't get enough from the Suns. The Nuggets win it 97-87, to holding the Suns to a measly 14 points in the fourth quarter to their 27. They win it 97-87. to The Nuggets crowd got really into it in the fourth. Got to give a shout-out to those Denver fans. I know how momentum can shift playoff games, and they absolutely did. No Chris Paul absolutely hurt the Suns late in the game. You definitely wanted a third guy to get a good shot. The Nuggets defended very well in that fourth quarter. And a huge adjustment that the Nuggets made, and I have to mention it, is that they, it's something that you've seen Ty Lue do with Zubats. Put Zubats, or their center, in this case Jokic, on the worst offensive player on the other team. That way, he's not involved in the action. And if you want to put him in the action, you have to have your worst offensive player setting the screen. And what you were starting to see from the Suns was he was guarding Josh Akogi. So when Josh Akogi was setting the screen on Booker in the fourth quarter, Jokic was hedging because he knew that if he prevents the easy pass to Akogi, then he's going to have to pass it to, um, to KD or somewhere else and they weren't going to leave those guys, he would have then time to recover to a Kogi. And if he can do that on the sideline, like we saw against the Clippers in the bubble, then that's when Jokic hedging and recovering makes him look like a much better defender. And that's what you were starting to see later in the game. The drop coverage with Jokic is terrible. He can't contest anything at the rim, so that's just a bad strategy. The hedging and recovering, I don't know why we didn't see it as much in the first half um, for Denver. Or maybe we were, and I just wasn't paying close enough attention. But I remember Jokic dropping a lot more in this game than the first game. But when he started going to that hard hedge, it was working a lot better. And when you prevent the ball from getting the easy pass to the screener and the, in that short roll, that's a great strategy. It was, it's sound. It was what used to work for teams back in the day, but it was easier to make the rotation back then because the floor wasn't as spread. And you can put more... As the, as the guy guarding the screener, you could put more pressure on the ball handler when you hedge. Like you could actually bump them. Now you don't. You can't make any contact on that. But point is, there was one time where Booker did give the ball to a Kogi, or one of them did, and he was literally wide open from ten feet, wide open, and he wasn't even shooting. He was scared to shoot the ball from eight feet or ten feet. It was insanely embarrassing. Insanely. 
as a professional player, to not be able to make keep the defense honest with that shot is a night. I don't know. I don't understand why you're not playing Tory Craig when he was the one that made us pay with that shot in the last series in the pick and pop. He was killing us. I don't know what Monty's doing. I don't usually criticize coaches, but he's been very peculiar. Malone's game plan worked. He made that adjustment. He had Jokic hedging the screens. He had Jokic guarding a Kogi. So now Aiden's not setting the screens anymore, and it's causing more one-on-one play for Booker and KD, and the defenders on Denver did a good job. So let's read the lines as we finish it off with this one. The Nuggets shot not very well, and that's what's amazing about this game for Denver. This is what championship teams are made of, a gritty game. You know, we all think of Denver, when things are going for them offensively, they can't be stopped. But these are the kind of wins that championship teams need to get where things are not going super well offensively. you got guys like MPJ shooting two for seven. you got guys like Jamal Murray shooting three for 15. But behind Jokic, you still play good defense, great defense. Hold the Suns to just 87 points when that's the area where everybody's criticized you all all season, had doubts about you all season. Winning those ugly games, that's what makes championship teams. That's why they're number one seed, and that's why they're up 2-0. Valley boys, you feeling the heat yet? Playing against a real team without injuries? Getting fucking lucky all the time. I get it. You got to beat who's in front of you, and our players are injury-prone. Okay, but your day will come, and it seems like it's soon approaching. But I want Chris Paul to play. I don't want to sound like a dick. I want Chris Paul to play. I love Chris Paul um, still, even though he annoys me, and I don't like watching the Suns win anything. But let's read the stat lines for this game. A combined four points for the Suns bench. Monty needs to make better decisions with who he uses. TJ Warren and Terrence Ross have to get some burn at this point. Yes, they may, yes, they may, may bleed points, but the starters have shown the capability to not be atrocious defensively. It's, also, it's honestly just a make-or-miss league with Denver. Like If they're making shots in Game 3, which they could, they're, the Suns are just in trouble. They just don't have the supporting cast. But I think you need to give TJ Warren and Terrence Ross a chance. Ish Wainwright shouldn't play. I don't see the beauty of that. Um, campaign needs to be better. He might have to start next game with Chris Paul out. If he, if he is out, he needs to be better. It's not even worth reading the bench player stat lines. How about the starters? Chris Paul played 25 minutes, eight points, five rebounds and six assists on four for 10 shooting. Didn't turn the ball over at all. Um, the Suns only turned the ball over nine times. So they did a much better job taking care of the ball. And that's part of the reason why they still stayed in, um, the game, Josh Okoge, 22 minutes, 1 for 3, 2 points. Torrey Craig, 0 for 2, 11 minutes. So it combined 2 points for Josh Okoge and Torrey Craig. DeAndre Ayton, 14 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists on 7 for 10 shooting. Again, insanely efficient, but just don't even get me started. Like, just so so much wasted talent there to me. They don't look at him as, a, as anybody that could be a star. Kevin Durant. 24 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 10 for 27 shooting, 2 for 12 from 3, 8 rebounds. Devin Booker, another really good game for Book. I think you could argue he should have been better in the fourth, though. 35 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists. Unlike in that uh in the last series, last three games, was not the best part on the floor. Jokic was. 14 for 29 for Book, 4 for 8 from 3. KD played 44 minutes and Book played 45 minutes. And you can get a sense that they were getting a little gassed at the end, especially in that altitude. I have to say, though, Booker, he still elevates really well throughout the game. So he's in great shape. 
I have to say, great shape. 40% shooting for the Suns in the game. 19% from three. And mind you, they made an effort to shoot more threes in this game. Six for 31. So I can see why they don't shoot them. Um, but that's why you need guys like Terrence Ross and TJ Warren in there. 19% from three, 40% from the field. Not good enough. As for why they lost. So that we all know the supporting cast is Dookie. They just have to do better there. As I said, Monty has to play some different guys. But you can argue Devin Booker could have closed a little bit better. Chris Paul that got hurt is unfortunate. But I'm looking at the guy that people compare to Dr. J, to Larry Bird, to Elgin Baylor. Top 15 ever. The most skilled this and that. How many excuses are we going to make for this guy because he looks amazing on the basketball court? Okay, he's old and he's had a lot of injuries. Well, in his prime, he played with the Warriors. So oftentimes, playing with that kind of a team and playing with other players that can basically get to the promised land without your presence there um, and maybe a player worse than you to replace him. Well, yes, a player worse than you to replace him, like Wiggins, who's awesome in his own right. It wasn't normal when a guy would leave you for a runaway dunk to run to the three-point line because they were terrified of Curry. It is not normal when you can switch Kevin Love onto you by choice to go one-on-one and teams are not trying to help off that. Did Kobe, MJ, Larry Bird, all these guys have that kind of luxury? No, they did not. Even when they played with their respective teammates, the game was not played with that much space to have those kind of matchups. Now we're seeing KD these last three years, you know, being the man of his team again. First year, he was amazing, but the players got hurt. He had nothing to lose, and he had to shoot that many shots. He had to empty the clip. This game, he finally shot 25-plus shots. He got his ass locked up. It's very clear, obvious. KD, when you get physical with him, when you get in his jersey, the only time I've seen him really, really respond to that well against a a guy with size is P.J. Tucker in 2021. These last couple years, last two years, guys with length, size, getting physical, he just takes tough shots. He takes tough shots, doesn't get any easy ones. He doesn't have the same first step he used to have. But my main problem with him is, it's all up here to me. If he wants to actually get the ball in the post, get the ball to 15 feet, you know, as you saw at the end with Aaron Gordon, actually give him a little bump, not shy away from contact, he's still the man. But Devin Booker has looked more confident this playoffs. I don't give a shit that it's Book's team. Are you Kevin Durant, a top 20 player to ever play the game, or not? Or are you past your prime and that's it? This is all we're going to get from you is your two rings in Golden State that you hopped on for and then you left because they didn't appreciate you. You didn't feel loved because they know what they can do without your presence, bro. And he actually doesn't care about all this shit. No, he does care. That's why he responds to people on Twitter. It's just Twitter. I can respond. Of course you can respond. Don't tell me you don't care. So casual, bruh. He just lets the lets the game come to him, plays within the flow of the game. Give me Kobe Bryant any fucking week as a scorer. Any fucking week, any day, 24-7. Come on, give me Larry Bird. Stop that comparison, please. They would bring back slavery for what KD to do with Larry Bird. Is the game one-on-one or five-on-five? Does winning matter? Does making your teammates better matter? KD played great defense, by the way. I want to say that. He played great defense. But he's not playing well enough in the playoffs. 24 points. Stop. Devin Booker has completely outplayed him. Stop making excuses for him. He has this great post game. Why don't you go to it that much then? 
You want to face them and shoot threes over the top of guys because you're seven feet. You can get whatever shot he wants. Not, I mean, against great defenders, bro, those are not easy shots. I don't give a fuck who you are. Dr. J, Elgin, oh, he's definitely better than Dr. J. He can shoot. Dr. J had the craziest first step ever. You feel me? Up there with an insane finishing package. KD doesn't have that. It's different players. Stop. Don't compare him to Curry anymore either. Let's just, I would rather have Kawhi in the playoffs, yes, when he's healthy. <laughs> no disrespect. I love, I think Kevin Rance, I love his game. He's a beast. But we need to stop making so many excuses for him. They need, he needs, first of all, let me just make it clear. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, if they do not average 30 each, there's no chance they're winning this series. Zero. They have to average 30 each. Kobe and Shaq style. Let's talk about the Nuggets. What a win for them. As I said, to play gritty, to play tough, things aren't going well, and Murray making big plays in the fourth. Big plays. You know, you can't just look at the box score. He made big plays, and his coach said it as well. Jokic, though, the man. I love that he's doing this. Everyone needs to see how great he is on the big stage. He is giving the big men hope that we still have back-to-basket bigs that can dominate. And I love when Jokic catches the ball at the foul line, just turns and faces, pump fakes, pump fakes, keep the defender guessing, and just shoots it over the top. Nothing but net. He has a high release point. It's just beautiful to watch. Eight-man rotation for Denver. 16 minutes for Christian Brown, two points, three rebounds, one for two from the field, plus 15, the highest of any nugget. That's not coincidental, by the way. Great defense from him. Really smart, too. I like his game. Jeff Green, two points and four boards, one for three from the field. He was also a plus seven, two blocks, and in a, his only field goal made was a monster dunk. Turning back the clock. Jeff Green, by the way, this is his 15th season. He's been around the league the last couple of years, former Clipper in 2016. I've always been a fan. Obviously, had that heart surgery thing with Boston. Um, somebody came into a space with me, with Ricky G and the folks, um, and, uh, and Andre and all them, and CL, and was saying that he's going to cost them the playoffs single-handedly. Okay. He's not been bad at all so far. Bruce Brown, who's been awesome in the playoffs for Denver. Nine points, four boards, two for five from the field, um, plus 12. But KD needs to post his ass up every time. If he, there's about the amount of wasted possessions. Like, if are you unguardable or not? I gotta let my teammates rock. No, your teammates fucking your ass, bro. Anyway, the starters, MPJ, good defense tonight. I want to say that, which you don't get from it. You don't think of when you get when you hear MPJ. But MPJ has improved defensively. Five points, four rebounds, two for seven from the field. 0 for 2 from 3 in just 23 minutes. I can promise you this. He's probably going to shoot better next game. Jamal Murray. 10 points, 4 boards. 8 assists, though. 8 assists. That's big. Um, the Nuggets, by the way, turned the ball over 10 times. Which is not too much, but it's more than the Suns. So Murray only shot 20%. 3 for 15. And 0 for 9 from 3. I can promise you he'll shoot better next game. But all that matters is he helped get the win. And without him, they don't have the same threat in the pick and roll. KCP, what a performance for the champ. 14 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists. That to go along with a steal. 5 for 6 from the field. 4 for 4 from deep in 41 minutes. Big time from KC3. How about Aaron Gordon? What a series he's had so far. 
16 points, two steals, and a block. That block coming on help defense on KD, amazing. Five for eight from the field, one for three from deep. He should have shot more than three threes in my opinion. He was open. Got to keep the defense honest. But, I mean, just just such. Finally, you're seeing Aaron Gordon in the playoffs with Murray. It's a tough combo to have all three of those guys. All four, I should say, when you count MPJ. Aaron Gordon, amazing. And then the man. We'll see if he wins the third MVP tomorrow. We'll be reacting to that. One of his best playoff games. 39 points, 16 boards, 5 assists, 2 steals, and a block. On 17 for 30 shooting. Only 4 free throw attempts, and he should have been more. Had 3 free throws made out of those 4. 2 for 6 from 3. 15 for 24 from 2. The guy was giving it to you in every way, shape, or form. What a performance from the Joker. The Nuggets go up 2 to nothing and defend home court. And now, finally, to talk about the big one. What we've all been waiting for. Thank you for joining me and being patient. Lakers and Warriors. Oh my God. The storylines are through the roof in this one. So first of all, I don't know... I don't know if I've ever seen, I know I've never seen it, but I don't know if it's ever happened, a sixth seed playing the seventh seed in the second round. The Warriors have home court advantage in the second round. When we talk about teams, only two teams have won below the three seed ever. And I said the Warriors could be the third if all things shape out correctly. They don't have to win every series on the road. They got lucky with this. Now they get the one of the best home teams in the league that went 33 and 8 at home. I believe that that's what it was. Can just win all the home games and that's it. I don't think it'll be that simple though. Stephen Curry versus LeBron part 5 on a new team. Lakers versus Warriors for the first time since 91. I have to say this has been brewing for a while now I feel like. It's been in the cards, it's been in the works. We had that playing game in 2021, but last year when the Warriors returned to the mountaintop, the Lakers had a disaster of a season. And when the Lakers won in the championship in the bubble, the Warriors had everybody injured. So that was a disaster season for them. So this LeBron and then LeBron, you know, got hurt that first year. They ended up making the playoffs and they wouldn't have beaten them anyway. So this is finally, you know, the LeBron AD era with the Lakers facing this Warriors dynasty. After, you know, Draymond and LeBron are such good friends. The, the fan bases on Twitter, oh my God, the toxicity levels are going to just be through the roof. I am going to be sitting there eating my popcorn, even though I don't eat popcorn at home. Just watching it, laughing, just seeing somebody, or this, just seeing these fan bases implode. And just reacting to what is going to be some great high-intensity basketball. That is Adam Silver's absolute pipe dream. The ratings are going to be through the fucking roof. And I cannot wait. NorCal, or should I say NoCal, versus SoCal. You might be thinking, do you want the Lakers to win because of that reason? I don't give a shit. I'm going to watch this game as neutrally as I can. This series as I want. Um... I want both of these teams to not win the championship because they've won too much. and But at the end of the day, the Warriors winning is less annoying for me. I'm just going to say that. Because I know Laker fans that are just going to give me shit. I'm living, you know, I live in LA, so you're going to have to hear it. And the worst part about it, the LeBron stands are just going to be in suffer. I may have to just like go six feet under. Um, 
The curry stands are equal. I wouldn't say equally as annoying. They're not. They're pretty annoying too. As I say, I hate stands. I'm a destroyer of stands, as I call myself. They're very annoying. They're lack of objectivity, and they're not guys I want to talk to or girls I want to talk to. But the curry ones are more bearable, and I love the way they play ball. But that being said, who cares who I want to win? It's about how it's going to go. And I think this series is going to be extremely unpredictable. I think Lakers in six or Warriors in seven. I don't think Lakers are winning a game seven at Chase. I don't think this is 2016 Warriors. I think they are battle-tested. I think they've taken that experience. You're not going to beat Steph Curry in game seven at home. I don't think it's going to happen uh, anymore. The Lakers need to take care of business in six, and they need to win one of the first two home games. In my opinion, game one. The Warriors went out and played a grueling series and had to face that game seven. The Kings made the Warriors work. They ran so much, and the Warriors are older. The Lakers took care of business, had a couple of blowouts. I think the Lakers need to go out and stamp their authority in game one. Now, the obvious thing for the Lakers in this series, they have a size advantage, and they have that rebounding advantage. You saw Sabonis dominate the glass in game six, but then Looney and Draymond, specifically Looney, Really did a great job on the glass in games seven and five. But Anthony Davis is a different entity altogether. This is not Sabonis. You can't just back up and give him 10-footers. He has to guard. Let's see how Looney guards. And listen, the guys like Jordan Poole, like DiVincenzo, even Steph Curry, LeBron is going to put them in the action relentlessly. These guys need to stand up to the task, okay? Anthony Davis is the key to this series. As we always say, the, Celt the Lakers are only going to go as far as AD takes them. Always. As great as LeBron James is, he is 38 years old in his 20th season. He is really good, but as you saw in Game 5 against Memphis, if he exerts a ton of energy, he just may not have as much left in the tank in the next game. Anthony Davis is in his prime. He's the best defensive player in basketball for me. He needs to dominate. Those game, the game two shooting game, the game four, you know, he cannot have those kind of games against Golden State. He needs to have four absolute monster games offensively. You know what he's going to bring defensively. And the Lakers are probably going to win that se this series. They have to dominate on the glass and be physical. The way you beat Golden State is you be physical with them. Be physical, bump them off every screen, and just... Try to beat them on the inside. Slow down the game. And I think the Lakers have to selectively run. You know, run off turnovers. And that's one thing with the Warriors. They will turn the ball over. Reeves, LeBron, Vando, Schroeder. They need to push the pace the second they turn the ball over. Especially with Reeves. Because he's good in transition. Um, as for guarding the Warriors... It's going to be a way different challenge than Memphis. The amount of movement that the Warriors have. Guys like Reeves, guys like Vando, Schroeder, they are going to be working like a dog in this series guarding Clay and Steph. LeBron is my concern defensively because he actually had a good defensive series, but a lot of it was he would wait for a player to turn their head and then come for the, from the weak side or come out of nowhere for the block from behind. But he was also able to sag off of Dylan Brooks and David Roddy and certain guys all series. He will be able to do that against Draymond. But the thing is, they are then going to put him in the action. And do you want LeBron guarding Curry on an island at this age? I don't know if you do. 
I really don't know if you do. If LeBron gets away with hand checking, he can he can get away with it because LeBron's hand check is so strong. But if they call the fouls, he's gonna get cooked. And I don't think they're gonna want LeBron guarding Steph Curry on an island, much like they won't want Curry guarding LeBron on an island. Even though Curry is weirdly in those previous finals done a decent job in the post against him, but I still wouldn't bet on. I would not do this. Um, but that that pick and roll with Draymond is gonna be lethal. You don't want to put AD in the pick and roll if you're the Warriors. You don't. Um, you want to try to get into maybe some dribble handoff actions to force him to come out as much as he can. But he in that I trust AD in a shallow drop against anyone in the league, including Curry. I really do. The rotation by LeBron and Vando, those guys has to be sharp. I think the best look the Warriors are going to get off that kind of action and putting AD in the action is Curry getting a pocket pass and then somebody rotating and then getting a corner three for Wiggins or someone like that. But if it's Looney that sets the screen and AD's guarding Looney, then you can sag off a Draymond for that shot. And that's, I think, what the Lakers are going to do a lot. So Curry needs to have a massive series. Massive. They're not going to win without that, just like this last one. Because the supporting cast has proven to be a little inconsistent. And that's where D'Angelo Russell becomes the X factor for, for uh, uh, the Lakers. He has to be more consistent. Although he did end the series very well against Memphis, he needs to be that third guy that averages 16 to 20 points in the series. And obviously continue his solid defense. And if Reeves can have a good series and outplay Jordan Poole, you know, Kenny Smith was talking about the guard play. I don't think he's very right about this. Jordan Poole... DiVincenzo, Curry, Clay. Actually, no, let's take Curry out of the equation. Clay, DiVincenzo, Poole, Reeves, D'Lo, Schroeder. Who gets the better of that will be important. As far as LeBron is concerned, I think he's going to be pulling the strings. I think he's going to need help from those other three guys I just named. Um, Reeves, AD, and D'Lo offensively throughout the game and then save the tank to close in the fourth because they're going to be close games in this series. You bet it. You better bet your money on it. The question is, if I'm the Warriors, how do I get LeBron to run as much as possible defensively? That's the key. Get him to chase guys off screens. Get him to have to step up on dribble handoffs and push the pace. Both these teams played a decently high pace in the regular season, but I think the Lakers should want to slow this down. The Warriors need to play faster, get transition threes, and they need to get, they need to hit their three ball. The Lakers, they're a much improved three-point shooting team, but I still don't trust it. Rui Hachimura, I think he's going to have a solid series again. He was really good in round one. I think he's going to have a solid series, but I'm looking at Wiggins. He's going to have to guard LeBron. I think there's no one better to do this. He needs to stand up to the task. He also needs to score. Ultimately, keys for the Warriors. Play fast. Curry needs to dominate. Poole needs to not be horrendous. We have to go away from him. And then keep Anthony Davis and Jared Vanderbilt and LeBron, the front court basically, off the offensive glass. Keep them off the glass. I think AD will shit, you know, shit the bed in some games offensively. I do think he's bound to have a couple games where he's either timid or just not scoring. So mainly, keep him off the glass. Get LeBron to work on defense as much as you can. And Steph needs to be big. And Jordan Poole, DiVincenzo, those guards, they need to step up. Let's see how big Looney uh, does on the glass. As for the Lakers, slow the game down. Get physical with these guys. Trust Anthony Davis in that shallow drop against Curry. Make Draymond beat you. Make other guys besides Steph beat you. Do not... Blitz Steph, honestly. I wouldn't unless unless he's killing the drop. The problem with the drop is that Steph did against Sabonis is 
Once AD recovers, if he's back one-on-one against whoever's guarding him, he gets into that step back like Harden was doing tonight and heck, he was doing in Game 7. If that starts to happen, then maybe you got to blitz him. But if I'm the Lakers, I would honestly just kind of keep AD stunting at Curry and then make him throw that pass to the roller and have LeBron, who's really good in that free safety role, kind of guess and make Curry throw that cross-court pass. Or even if the ball gets there and you want to rotate after, force them to shoot the three with Draymond or Wiggins. Wiggins should probably make it, but who knows? DiVincenzo, like some of these guys have not been making threes. Peyton, for example, totally sag off of him. If I'm the Lakers, you got to just defend home court too and come out with the game one win. Let's see what they can do. The one thing with the Lakers is, to me, they struggle to put together a good game for four quarters. And I think they did a better job of that in game six against Memphis. They just beat the shit out of them. Um, But you can go either way in this series. I've seen so many different picks. Um, I will say this, man. This is going to be huge. It, this hasn't happened since 1991, and Magic averaged a triple-double like 26, 10, and 14 or something ridiculous to beat Golden State. As I said, we haven't seen this in this era. This is the fifth time we've seen Steph versus LeBron, and it might be the last time we see it. Um, we also are, haven't seen AD against the Warriors except once, and that was against the Pelicans in 2018, and AD had a good series too. But again, in the playing game, Draymond did a hell of a job on AD. So this is when we're going to have to see Draymond one-on-one defensively. And I think if you're the Warriors, there's no one better to have against Anthony Davis than Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. There really isn't. Um, You say Jaron Jackson, he was one guy. I think this is a better tandem. I think the two best defenders in the NBA are playing in this series, Draymond Green and Anthony Davis. Um, But Andrew Wiggins is fantastic as well. My pick, and I've been waiting for it. Oh, man, guys. I'm going to have to say sorry, so, so sorry to my, my Laker Nation and my Dime Dropper fam. I'm going with the Warriors in seven games. They've never lost a Western Conference Series with Kerr. They're at home. Steph Curry is the best player in the series. Sorry, Anthony Davis. Sorry, LeBron. I think they're going to get it done. I think they're going to force AD to have some bad games, and you're going to see LeBron's age at the end of games. But that being said, the Lakers may have him. Who knows? Who knows? I'm going with Warriors in seven. If AD's the best player in the series, the Lakers will win. If he outplays Curry, the Lakers will win. I do not think that the supporting cast outside of Curry will be bigger. If AD plays great with LeBron there, I mean, look, the Lakers have two of the three best players in the series. That's not debatable. Not even close. I think Klay Thompson will be the fourth. But then it gets tricky. Those, like, those, you know, basically Reeves and D'Lo versus, like, Wiggins, Clay, Draymond, like that, those kind of conversations, there's going to be amazing in this series to listen to, but, wow, what a series we have in store. It's going to be absolute toxicity. I cannot wait. It's going to be crazy. Let me know your picks in the comments. Have a great night, everybody. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. And, of course, if you're the Lakers, you've got to make Curry guard as well. Peace. Correction, Anthony Davis played against the Warriors in 2015 as well in the first round. I totally forgot about that where he lost the series in a sweep. Should have won game three, by the way. So, yes, this is his third time playing the Warriors. Everybody, enjoy the series. Hope you enjoyed the episode.